My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the book of Matthew and we're continuing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. And I just want to encourage you, uh, let's do everything we can to like, comment, subscribe, share these videos as much as you can, these podcasts, do whatever you can to help people understand the truth of the Word of God. And as we pick up the Sermon on the Mount today, we are picking up from verse 13 where Jesus has just finished teaching about the Beatitudes and it's kind of like he gets to chapter 2 of his message. And he starts off in verse 13 and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavour, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Disciples, disciplined followers, are like salt because they're precious, okay? In Jesus' day, day, you have to understand salt was a very valued commodity. Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt, and, and it, that's where the phrase, you know, he's worth his salt. That's where it came from. And disciples, disciplined followers, are like salt because they have this preserving influence Salt was used uh, at this time to preserve meat from decaying and Christians should have a preserving influence on society and on culture. We should be helping society, you know, being preventing uh, or preventing it from decaying. The the gospel of message of Jesus Christ can do that. Uh, And that's what the salt is. We're meant to actually have have an effect. And disciples are like like salt because they they add flavour. Uh, so we should be flavorful people. We should add flavor to any situation, every circumstance that we're in. Do you add flavor? Uh, are you just bland? Don't be bland. Stop being bland. Just add some flavor. Be, be salt. RT France said, disciples, if they are true to their calling, make the earth a purer and more palatable place. And Jesus says, listen, if the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. Salt has to keep its saltiness to be of any value. When it's no good as salt, it's trampled underfoot. We just walk on it. And in the same way, too many Christians lose their flavor. And what happens? They become good for nothing and they just get trampled on by the world. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Okay, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus gives the Christian both a compliment and a responsibility when he says that we are to be the light of the world uh, because he claimed that title for himself. And as he walked this earth, John 8, uh, John 9, and, and light of the world means that we are not only light receivers, from God, we are light givers. We have to have a greater concern for other people than we do for ourselves. We have to make sure that we're not just, well, I've got all the light. No, 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 you need to be an equal light. You've got to reflect that light to other people. You can't just live for yourself. We have, we have to have somebody to shine to. 
and we have to do it with love. Jesus never challenged us to become salt or light. He just said you are salt and light. And and we are either fulfilling that responsibility or we are failing in it. And you've got to give yourself a grade right now. Fail, pass. And if you're failing, you've got to change right now. If you're not being salt, you're either passing or failing. If you're not being light, you're passing or failing. Uh, this is what we need to do. David Guzik, a key thought in both the pictures of salt and light is distinction. Salt is needed because the world is rotting and decaying. And if our Christianity is also rotting and decaying, it won't be any good. Light is needed because the world is in darkness. And if our Christianity imitates the darkness, then we have nothing to show the world. To be effective, we must seek and display this Christian distinctive. We can never affect the world for Jesus by becoming like the world. So, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. The purpose of light is to illuminate, to expose what's already there. And that's what light therefore must be exposed before it's of any use. If it's hidden under a basket, then it's not useful. It's not lighting anything. Spurgeon, Christ never contemplated the production of secret Christians, Christians whose virtues would never be displayed, pilgrims who would travel to heaven by night and never be seen by their fellow pilgrims or anybody else. <laughs> the figures of salt and light remind us that the life that is marked by the Beatitudes is not to be lived in isolation, but as a light to others, as salt to others. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, it's a prominent city. It, 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 if you see a, hitty, a city from a distance, it's hard to take your eyes off it. And in the same way, Jesus wanted the people of his kingdom to live visible lives that attracted attention to the beauty of God's work in their lives. Uh, and, and that's what it's like. I think about standing at a place in Israel called Wadi Kilt, and it's where you overlook the road to Jer Jericho, Jericho. And it's, it's the road where the story of the Good Samaritan takes place. And you can stand in this place and look all the way down to Jericho and then you can look all the way up to Jerusalem. That's what the Bible says, up to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was always the highest point. And so you're always going up to Jerusalem. But you can stand in Wadi Kilt and you can look up to Jerusalem and it's a city on a hill. It literally is a city on a hill and you can't take your eyes off it. You look up there and you think about, oh, that's that city on a hill. That's what it looks like. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand. That's what you do. The idea of a lampstand means the fact that we're intentional about letting our light shine. We're picking it up and putting it on something. And even as lamps are placed higher, when you put a lamp higher, it's more effective. It, it, it can do more. And we should look for ways to let our light shine for us to do more in greater and, and bigger ways. Uh, the purpose in letting our light shine by doing good works is so that people won't glorify us, but they'll glorify God. Spurgeon said this, The object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, nor even see us at all, but they may see grace in us and God in us and cry, What a father these people must have. Is this not the first time in the New Testament that God is called our father? Is it not singular that the first time it peeps out should be when men are seeing the good works of his children? Very important point that Spurgeon raises here. This is the first time that God is referred to as your father. Imagine the disciples hearing this. 
He, it, they've heard about Father Abraham. They've not heard about God being their father. This is a whole new concept. How is it possible? Through Jesus Christ. And Jesus points to the, the, the massive impact that he wanted disciples to have. And, and which must have just seemed overwhelming to anybody listening to the message on the day. Uh, how could these humble Galilee, Galileans who were just like, you know, coming up to listen to this sermon, how could they be the salt and the light of the earth? How they, they're just like, you know, peasant fishermen. And all of a sudden Jesus is saying, you're going to change the world. It's like, it's on you. You guys are going to do it. You're going to light the world. But you know what they did? They actually did do it. Now, interesting observations. Uh, salt is the opposite of corruption. It prevents corruption from getting worse. Light gives the gift of guidance so that those who have lost their way can find the path home. And a city is the product of social order and government, and it is against chaos and disorder. Uh, some more David Guzik quotes there. Okay, verse 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law. Okay, so he just moves on. New, new, new chapter. Finish with salt and light. Now I'm on to the law. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now, Jesus here begins a very long discussion on the law, and he wants to make it clear that he didn't oppose what God gave Israel in what we call the Old Testament. He didn't come to destroy the word of God, but to free it, to free it from the way that the Pharisees and the scribes had wrongly interpreted it. Uh, Spurgeon, to show that he never meant to do away with the law, our Lord Jesus has embodied all its commands in his own life. In his own person, there was a nature which was perfectly conformed to the law of God. And as was his nature, such was his life. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus wanted to make it clear that he had authority that was apart and separate to the law of Moses, but it was not in contradiction to the law of Moses. Jesus added nothing to the law except one thing that nobody had ever added to the law, and that was perfect obedience. This is one of the ways that Jesus came to fulfill the law. He showed that it was possible. Uh, and even though he often challenged man's interpretation of the law, uh, especially Sabbath, you know, regulations and the way that they, they, they kind of had, uh, come to a point of insisting certain things that Jesus didn't think were really the original intent of the law. Jesus never broke the law of God. D.A. Carson, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets and they point to him and he is their fulfillment. Jesus fulfilled different aspects of the law. He fulfilled the doctrinal teachings of the law of the prophets in that he actually brought full revelation. He fulfilled the predictive prophecy of the law and the prophets in that he was the promised one. And he showed the reality behind the shadows. He fulfilled the moral and legal demands of the law and the prophets in that he fully obeyed them and he reinterpreted them 
interpreted them in their truth. He fulfilled the penalty of the law and the prophets for us by his death on the cross, taking the penalty that we deserved. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this on this theme in Romans 10 verse 4. He said, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That was the fulfillment. This is the Apostle Paul saying, Jesus, we can be fulfilled in the law through Jesus. Uh, Adam Clark, in a word, Christ completed the law. In itself, it was only the shadow, the typical representation of good things to come. And he added to it that which was necessary to make it perfect, which was his own sacrifice, without which it could neither satisfy God nor satisfy men. Now, when Jesus said that not one jot or one tittle by, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled, what does that mean? The jot and the tittle were very small marks in the Hebrew writing. Similar, if you like, to the dot on the letter I in English or the cross on the letter T. Okay, so the lowercase, a lowercase letter L becomes a letter T with a tittle. Okay, uh, and, and then the jot is is the, 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 the dot over the letter I, okay? That, that's, that would be the English equivalent, and they have those in Hebrew. And Jesus here told us that not only are the ideas of the Word of God important, but the actual words and their very composition is incredibly important themselves. Even the letters of the words are important, which shows us how highly God regards His Word. Now, uh, let me read to you some some, some uh, ex, ex, explanations here, I guess is probably the best way to put it from Adam Clark. The jot refers to the yod, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alpha, alphabet. It looks like half a letter. The tittle is a small mark in a Hebrew letter, somewhat like the crossing of a T or the tail on the English letter Y. Though all earth and hell should join together, to hinder the accomplishment of the great designs of the Most High. Yet it shall all be in vain. Even the sense of a single letter shall not be lost. The words of God, which point out His designs, are as unchangeable as His nature is itself. <laughs> that That's why we can't mess with the Word of God. Okay? Uh, I don't want to chase this down a rabbit hole too far. But that's why I don't like... And don't recommend to people to read um, literary uh, or easy-to-read versions of the Bible. Oh, I like this version because it's easier to read. Well, it might be easier to read, but it may have also compromised the original meaning uh, because you may have changed it. Now, obviously, it would be great if we could all read Greek and Hebrew, and, and if you can, then uh, you, you, know, you, you have a greater understanding of reading the English Bible. But we have to be very careful about what we're reading just because it satisfies how easy it is. Uh, this is why I teach the Word of God from the New King James Version. I don't think it's the most perfect version, but I think it's very accurate. Uh, I think that it points us to the original intent and the original uh, meanings of the Greek and Hebrew words. And that this is why this is important because Jesus said that the Word of God is important. It's not me saying it. Um, and he said that this, not until all this is fulfilled, till all is fulfilled. It's the assurance that Jesus himself fulfilled the law by his perfect obedience. 
Uh, it's the assurance that Jesus himself fulfills the law in us by his perfect obedience. And it's the assurance that God's plan will never be set aside until all things are fulfilled at the end of this age. Verse 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The commandments are to be obeyed as explained by Jesus. They are meant to be fulfilled in our lives the same way they were fulfilled in Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching. Uh, not, not in the legalistic thinking of the religious authorities of Jesus' day. Uh, you know, for example, uh, sacrifice is commanded by the law, but it was fulfilled in Jesus. So we don't run the danger of being called least in the kingdom of heaven by not observing animal sacrifices as detailed in the law of Moses. So Jesus then goes on and says, whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The Christian is done with the law as a means of gaining righteous standing before God. And one passage that explains this is Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, uh, which I've done teaching on. You can look that up. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. However, the law does stand as the perfect expression of God's ethical character and requirements. That's why he said it. It wasn't like he messed it up in the Old Testament. It was him outlining what he really wanted us to do. But Jesus came and fulfilled it. Uh, David Guzik, the law sends us to Jesus to be justified because it shows us our inability to please God in ourselves. But after we come to Jesus, he sends us back to the law to learn the heart of God for our conduct and our sanctification. So we understand that we can't gain salvation through fulfillment of the law because nobody's ever pulled it off except for Jesus. So Jesus fulfills the law for us. We accept his free gift of salvation. And then Jesus sends us back and says, now, if you want to know what, what God, my father, the way he really wants you to live, and, and th then that's what his law was all about. Uh, and so it helps guide us in our conduct and our sanctification. But it doesn't do it the way that the scribes and the Pharisees did it. That's what Jesus was trying to say. Because uh, the scribes and the Pharisees actually had incredibly positive devotion to the law of God. Um, and then Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven, which must have seemed incredible to anybody listening to this sermon because they're like, but they're the two that do it the most. And you say that that has to be the least? Um, wow. Uh, we don't know what to do. How can we ever hope to exceed their righteousness? The Pharisees were so scrupulous in their keeping of the law that they'd even tithe from small spices that they would obtain from their herb gardens. They'd get like tiny little pieces and then divide it up into a tenth and make sure they took that first tenth to, to the temple. Uh, and the life of Paul uh, shows us what the life of a Pharisee was like. He constantly referred to himself. He said, you have to remember, before I came to Christ, I was a Pharisee to the greatest extent. Acts 23, Acts 26, Philippians chapter 3. How do we exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? We can exceed their righteousness because our righteousness exceeds that in kind, not degree. 
Paul describes the two kinds of righteousness in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6 to 9. He said this, Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. But indeed, I count all things loss, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Though the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was very impressive to all the humans around them that observed them, it could never be enough before God. That's what Isaiah chapter 64 is all about. So we're not made righteous by keeping the law. When we see what keeping the law really means, we're very thankful that Jesus offers us a different kind of righteousness. So what's our observation today? Our observation for me is that we are to be salt and light the same way that Jesus was salt and light. He's our example. He's our example. Now, he fulfilled the law as an example. Part of Jesus fulfilling the law is showing us that all things are possible with God because up until that time, nobody thought it could ever be done. And Jesus did it whilst being salt and light. He had an impact He added flavour wherever he was, and he was a light. You imagine people following him, the multitudes following him, like a light. Just follow the light. And Jesus showed us, that's what our lives should look like. People should look at our lives and go, look at that light. How do they do that? Man, whoever's doing that for them, I want that. That's the relationship I want to be in. Not that people look at our light and see us. They look at our light and they see that it's a reflection of Jesus. It's a reflection of our Heavenly Father. That's what they're meant to see. That's my observation for today. Heavenly Father, help us to be salt and light. Uh, God, I pray, Lord, that as we grade ourselves today, we give ourselves a pass or a fail, that you would convict us through the power of the Holy Spirit of what are the things that we need to change so that we can be effective salt. If we're being trampled underfoot right now, I pray, Lord, that, that you would add spice and flavor back into us that you would give us the the ability to prevent decay in the circumstances and situations of life. God, if we're failing as being a light, maybe it's because our light has been just left on the floor. Maybe we haven't put it up on a lampstand for all to see because of false pride, thinking, oh, I don't want people to see how good I am. I don't want to show off. Father, I pray, Lord, that, that we would understand that any showing off we're doing is we're showing off how good you are. We're showing off how merciful you are to us. We're showing people the grace that you have showed us and people are seeing the light of God, the light of the world, Jesus in us. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.